Good morning uh, and good evening and welcome to episode 56 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California with my co-host in New York, New York, Ben Lindbergh. And we're joined today by a very special guest who has been talking nonstop for the last 20 minutes, Mr. Carson Sestouli. How are you guys doing? Very well. Thank you. Hi, hi Carson. <laughs> hey, it's great to see you. It's great to, well, uh, I don't see either of you. But uh, it's great to hear you. I had just a mini catastrophe. What was um, that? Well, I was under the impression that I was reaching for a milk stout, a left-hand milk stout, which is the type of beer that I like. Except what my wife had secretly done is to put one, is to put the one remaining pumpkin beer into it, into the uh, left-hand milk stout six-pack container, and so I ended up taking that. Hmm. So. I found that the ladies like their pumpkin, pumpkin-flavored beverages. Sure. Well, sure, but I mean, I'm uh, I'm partial to it as well. <laughs> what are you? What's your problem? <laughs> what is he doing? Does he do this all the time, Lindbergh? No, I never say anything never that funny. Ben, ben has literally never made me laugh on this show. Ever. <laughs> I, do laugh, I do laugh at my own jokes quite a bit. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why you're doing that. But the uh, the point is, it was uh, I had a, um, a, a startling moment where I thought I was about to be drinking left-hand milk stout and instead was drinking Lakefront Brewery's pumpkin ale. So you can imagine my surprise. <laughs> It's amazing how much the expectations of a flavor can affect one's enjoyment of a beverage. It is. Is it actually possible that Sam Miller disabled? <laughs> One, yeah. Uh, have you ever thought that you were drinking Coke and you drank milk? <laughs> I've had it with water and milk, which I've found to be very, very unpleasant. Oh, yeah. Well, you thought you were about to be drinking... Uh, I guess it works either way, probably. Yeah. And uh, we should also announce, uh, we should announce post-haste that we are recording this during um, a, an exciting portion of uh, today's Texas, or I should say Wednesday's Texas-Oakland game. Uh, it appears as though Oakland has just tied the game in the bottom of the fourth, and the uh, imposing Ioannis Suspedes is about to be facing Derek Holland. That's where I am. Are you guys ahead? Well, that's weird because uh, I looked earlier and the the uh, the A's were losing, and I assumed that that would be the end of things because it appeared to be yes they were they were unlikely to win, and therefore, one, uh, as far as I could tell, it was over. One could say the same about their season as a whole. Mm, one could. I I think one was subtly implying it uh -huh. just a moment ago. In fact, uh -huh. one could continue the entirety of this podcast in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm impressed with our our bandwidth. We are all watching live broadcast feeds and talking on Skype and recording it at the same yeah. time. We must have excellent connections. So yeah, it's not the first time I've been complimented on the size of my bandwidth, <laughs> which sounds like I'm talking about something else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I held and, out for a little and, while, but then I did I, laugh. I am, I am talking about that. Talking about. <laughs> talking about Talking about my penis. Uh, you guys, I can say that. Um, anyway, hey, listen, it's really great uh, to talk to you. It really is. Yeah, this is fun so far. I was going to ask whether we should be thanking you for coming on or thanking you for having us on, or whether well, it's time that we move past such petty concerns as who is hosting. Well, I thought that we would just we would refer to it as a simulcast for the purposes of uh, Fangraphs Audio, I am the host of this, and for the purposes of um, is oh. it excessively wild, very wild. <laughs> Effectively. Effectively? Mm-hmm. What is the, uh, you guys do a different sound effect at the beginning every time, right? We do. We do. And what has it been, I've heard, because I've listened to two episodes, I heard what I think was uh, a, a someone peeing, is that right? Uh, as we discussed i think it was coffee being poured which we then ag agreed was a pee precursor oh, oh my so than actual if yeah. i could also um submit there's a quite an alert to be yes noted here something you just to, happened of you want to suspect he says just flied out to josh hamilton but not done that i guess so uh, i guess i guess i'm about a pitch and a half behind you then 
Yeah, well, what's about to happen in your there life? There it is. There it is. Oh, Derek my, Holland, right. hopefully, is pointing up to the sky. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> and that's it. That's real time. That's human emotion. Caught on tape. That's Josh Hamilton with those blue eyes during day games again. Caught, caught live Back on to tape. Hunting. Yeah, Josh Hamilton just whiffed on that. That's a big... I don't know what the WPA is on that, um, but it's significant. Yeah, this game has had a number of swings, uh, already interesting swings. A.J. Griffin was left in too long, probably. There was really no excuse for that. But then uh, that choice has been mooted, I guess. The poorness of the choice has been mooted. Muted? Mooted? Rendered would, moot. Yeah, I wouldn't say that yet. Right. Well, yeah, up till now. Anyway, so what do you guys do at this point? It just... Uh, Usually, oh well, and what was the other sound? Was oh, it like a, it was like a gorilla, like a some sort of roar, or we, I feel like we use a lot of wildlife. Uh, yeah. We also use ourselves, household appliances. Ourselves screwing up the intro uh, is something that we leave in as the intro often. Um, but yeah, it, it tends to be whatever sound we just heard or or wanted to have heard. Do you feel like that humanizes you for your listeners? I think the idea at the beginning was that we didn't really know um, how we wanted to present these to people. We didn't know if we wanted to tell them the topics or if we wanted to name these things or if we wanted to, to describe them. We didn't really know what the podcast was going to be at all. So to sort of simplify things, we just put a sound effect in the beginning so that you could just identify it by the original sound effect. Um, and uh, you'd be surprised that um, that uh, Google does not um, actually return many searches for Sound of Coffee podcast. You, so we, right. we weren't getting a, a huge response. Yeah. What we Sorry. wanted to we wanted to use an audio sample from that written in the stars song that was the intro to uh, the postseason last year, but we were advised by our lawyers not to do that. We were advised by Kevin. Yes, who was being advised by lawyers. Well, there you are. So we've gone low, low budget and open yeah. source and, and non-copyright. Yeah. Well, wise choices all around, fellows. Mm -hmm. So at this point, we uh, we talk about crickets off, uh, often uh, because there yeah. are crickets in Sam's garage where he records the podcast. Um, but we can probably move on from that. And at that point, we then each propose a topic and we discuss each of those topics in turn. Okay, sounds reasonable. Did you, did you bring a, a topic, Carson? I did. It's. I think it's probably slightly irreverent, but I think it's something about which I'm curious. If that's all right. Uh, well, today I would like. Today I'm curious as to who, um, for each of you, and I'm more than willing to share my own too. Who are the league leaders uh, for the 2012 season? The league leaders of your heart or in your okay. heart? Okay. 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 That's a good topic. That's. I don't think we've spoken about that topic yet. <laughs> Uh, ben, do you have a topic? Uh, I do. I wanted to talk about some poor predictions that were made by teams or players about themselves prior to this season. And I would like to talk about um, Bryce Harper and the season he has had. So um, why don't we start with, uh, with you, Ben? Okay. Uh, so this is the season when we baseball writing people look back at the predictions we made before the season, uh, which is usually an exercise that leads to a lot of self-loathing. Uh, and so I decided to sort of lash out and take some other people down with us, uh, <laughs> us being the people who made bad predictions before the season. So I have looked for predictions that were made by teams or players uh, executives, someone connected to a team about that team or player's performance this season. Uh, and so I want to, uh, I, I guess, rank them along a scale, possibly, of, uh, of good to bad. Uh, we have, I guess, probably the worst baseball prospectus staff prediction, Stam Sam and I have agreed, was every staff member who, who voted uh, picking the Orioles to finish last in the AL East. So let's say that constitutes the worst possible prediction. Uh, and the best possible prediction would be a correct prediction of uh, some sort of award or, or season finalist or, you know, some standings thing, something you pick correctly. So 
if uh, if a one is is a perfect prediction and a ten is picking the Orioles to finish last unanimously, uh, I would like to know how each of these scores for you guys. So, uh, starting off, I have about ten of these. So, the first one, and just going. Wait, yes. I need to. I need to clarify the scale. <laughs> okay. Yes. I understand that the uh, Orioles are at the at the bottom, and and a correct prediction is at the top. Yes. Uh, are we then to only assign a score that is a similar similar level of prediction, or are we doing a one to ten scale? Uh, I think we can go pure 1 to 10. These are all going to be predictions that did not come true because predictions that did come true are not what I want to celebrate here. Um, so they will all be bad. So You're tearing will... people down, as, as yes. you noted. right, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, so the first one, just kind of going in alphabetical order here, is Mike Sosha uh, telling Bobby Abreu that he would get somewhere in the range of 400 plate appearances for the Angels this season. It was uh, something of a controversy this this spring. Abreu wanted to start. It didn't look like he was going to be able to start, so Sosha kind of told him he would get plenty of playing time. He ended up being released by the Angels in April, I believe, and making a total of 257 plate appearances between both of his teams this year. Uh, so that's a interesting p- uh, prediction because um, like 80% of the variable in that prediction is Mike Sosha himself. And uh, <laughs> yes, so so it is unlikely. It, it is sort of surprising. And it, I guess it was unlikely that Mike Sosha would mispredict his own heart. Uh, although I suppose we all do at least a few times before we finally settle down with a special lady. Um I would say, I would say, I would say that is like a a four, because uh, Abreu was very poor last year, but he did still show some on base skills, and there was a, a certainly a, an an idea that he could contribute to a, a lineup still. Right, and what? Wait, so wait, what is the the most failing type of? It is called a ten. That's yes. the, you've, all right. Uh, yeah, in fact. Um, I'm going to give I mean, I will also skew low uh, two or three because I'm going to guess that Mike Sosha didn't actually believe what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to guess that he said that so that he could um, make this player on his team feel better. Uh, but he was lying. He was doing it in a, like a liar. <laughs> yes. It was how he was doing it. And then uh, but then, of course, Bobby Abreu did, as you know, get uh, at least some percentage of those 400 uh, and and uh, still posted. Uh, and uh, Sam, you and I corresponded about this briefly yesterday via Twitter. Uh, still posted it in OBP above 350. I honestly don't remember this at all. I you remember were seeing that. Drunk. You were drunk. Mm-hmm. Oh, Very this was drunk. my you uh, you the Baba Breu. Yes. I talked about Baba Breu. Yeah. You mentioned Baba Breu. Yeah. Yeah, because his uh, his card back at, at the uh, back in 1997, his baseball cards all labeled him Bob. Oh yeah, well that's it's hard to that's... isn't it hard to imagine Bobby Abreu as Bob? Doesn't it change everything? <laughs> it does. changes some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is a variable, obviously, with these team predictions. Is that it is quite difficult to find uh, a team executive predicting failure for his team or a player on his team, which is disappointing. You... I would enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got ten of these. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe we could, we get a best of list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So let's see. Uh, we have Freddie Gonzalez predicting that Dan Ugla will be a guy who hits 280, 290 <laughs> with thirty homers and ninety RBI. Uh, Dan Ugla hit two nineteen with nineteen homers and was benched for a while by Freddie Gonzalez. Oh, interesting. Uh, the numbers like that he three last year for reference. Yeah, the other numbers though that he gave were pretty similar to Dan Ugla numbers. So and and he hit 287 the season before that. So basically, he was just talking about uh, Dan Ugla regaining his his Babbitt essentially and otherwise remaining the same. And then Dan Ugla instead cratered, mm-hmm. right? Yes, pretty much. So let's call that one because Dan Ugla was pretty poor, but he also walked 93 times. His first black ink. Uh, let's call that one a four point two. Okay. What is black ink? Is that, that's a, I only know that in the context of the Hall of Fame. Uh, it means he led the league in a category. So black ink oh. on his uh, 
baseball reference page. Oh, that's oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's um, great baseball lingo there, Sam Miller. Uh, we can just do these rapid fire. Uh, it is. Wait, Carson didn't give it. Car- no, Carson didn't, didn't give. Oh, I also say I think it's not. Uh, I don't think it's particularly egregious. I think that uh, I don't think it would be unreasonable to maybe not to expect. It's hard to expect thirty home runs from most people. Uh, but I don't think it's totally outside the realm. I'd say three again. He had he had done it five years in a row. For example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Okay. Next. Uh, so it was harder than I expected to find Red Sox people making grand predictions for the Red Sox. Uh, unfortunately, Ben Sherrington was fairly humble in the preseason and avoided making any uh, optimistic claims. But John Henry was not so much. And he said... Uh, it's turning into a productive offseason. We're going to have a great team this year. No. That's, uh, th- well, that was way off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say great season has enough uh, vagueness, but on the other hand, uh, considering their payroll and, and pedigree, uh, great for the Red Sox would probably be making the postseason. Um, the season is not over. To be fair, the season is not over, but they look unlikely to make October. So let's, I'm going to call that an, an eight and a half. Yeah. Now, listen, I have previously been doing this. The first two I've gauged on uh, process. Uh, this one I will gauge on result. Mm-hmm. Um, I've decided to switch tact midstream. And that is what has made me a success <laughs> as a sports writer. <laughs> okay. And I will say 10. 10? Wow. <laughs> I will say 10. And as. Uh, D- uh, Dane Perry uh, submitted on the Fangraphs Audio podcast the other day re- with regard to Heath Bell. Um, I think that John Henry and everyone in the Red Sox organization should be boiled in hot oil. Okay. All right, that's a that's a bold opinion. Yeah, uh, a five alarm a five alarm sports opinion is actually <laughs> what, what he referred to it as. Uh, okay, we have uh, Alex White. Uh, and I hate to pick on Alex White, but he, he said, I think we're going to thrive as a pitching staff. By the end of the year, we're going to have some things figured out and be a pretty good pitching staff. Well, they figured some things out. Um, they figured out that they weren't very <laughs> they weren't good. good pitching staff. They figured out they needed new pitchers. They figured out they should be doing things differently. Um, I'm going to call it a five and a half. Um, if I could submit, I actually think that it was not necessarily the pieces that they acquired, but um, there were actually some pieces, including uh, including Alex White himself. There were some pieces that I personally found uh, to be uh, reasons for optimism on the, the Rockies pitching staff. I, I think that um, uh, besides him, um, Hulis Chassin had not, for example, been terrible in the past. Uh, in the past. Also, who was the guy who got hit in the head? Uh, last year, uh, uh, because he had be, he had actually been excellent at one point too. Nikazi. And Drew Pomeranz was also notable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juan Nicasio yes. is who I'm thinking of. I was very excited about Juan Nicasio entering this season. I never uh, thought that J- uh, Jeremy Guthrie or Jamie Moyer would work out though. Um, so I'll say five. Okay. Uh, next we have Carlos Lee, uh, and. You can find many, many team predictions or player predictions saying that a team will surprise some people or do better than expected, and those are very nebulous terms, so I avoided those. Uh, But Carlos Lee claimed that the Astros would be a lot better than they were last year. Uh, They won 56 games last year. They have won 55 games as we record. No kidding. They didn't get worse, huh? No. I would have bet anything that they were worse. Uh, I haven't looked at the underlying numbers, but in terms of... They have jettisoned basically uh, their entire starting lineup from the beginning of the 2011 season. I believe that they have gotten rid of, I mean, what, everybody except for two... Is there anyone who's still around? Uh, well, uh, in the lineup, you mean? Sure. N- not not on the team. Right. Not, Brett, not Wallace, Brett Wallace, maybe in the city. I don't. I don't actually. I. I couldn't tell you the Astros' 2011 opening day lineup off the top of my head. Well, what the hell? <laughs> what do you get paid for? Um. But 
I think that there's uh, there's probably I mean I guess the definition the, the 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 thing that we need to define is what a lot better means in this context. Um, I, I think that if they won 56 games last year, um, a colleague of yours, Carson, um, Jeff Sullivan, wrote a piece at the beginning of the year about the Astros being the worst team ever projected and um, looked at projection systems that um, had the Astros losing 100 games, which is almost unheard of. There's so much uh, regression in most of these uh, and, and caution in most of these projection systems that, that even the worst team, you'll rarely see a projection of more than you know, 92, 93 losses. So the Astros were projected to be basically the worst team of all time um, uh, on average. And even at that, they, I think they were only projected to lose like between 99 and 102 games. So the the fact that they had lost 106 the, the year before, I think that um, it was not unreasonable to think that they could uh, win um, five games more without doing anything and 10 if a few things broke right and maybe 15 if they had a miracle season. And that just didn't happen. They Instead, they were the same. So I'm going to call that a two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Okay. For the same exact reasons. Uh, Matt Kemp, 50-50 season. And he's like 21-6? Something like that. Uh, if Even if he had had a full season, uh, if you extended his stats, he would not have come close. Although, of course, he was playing hurt for a lot of that time. He is at 23-9. It's, uh, it's weird because I don't know that any prediction, uh, player prediction, comes true less often than the stolen base one, which is weird because that's the one they have the most agency over. Um, I don't know why these guys are constantly saying they're going to steal 70 times or whatever, because um, uh, I don't know that you. Uh, what? It's weird. It's crazy. I'm going to call. I'm that's a that's a whopper. I'm going to call that one a whopper. But on the other hand, he was uh, on an MVP pace before everything got hurt. So um, now I'm downgrading. I'm going to say seven and two sevens. I'm going to say a little bit higher uh, because I do think that it. Uh, I guess I mean 50-50 it, pl- is insane. 50-50 is crazy. That's true. 50-50 yeah. is crazy. He's saying that he was going to be 50-50. That's crazy. Yeah. He's going to be I mean that that's never been done before. I think it would be hard um not to be uh, an MVP sort of player if you're hitting well if you're hitting 50 home runs in the current run environment anyway. Um and then you're on base enough when you're not hitting home runs to steal those 50 bases. Yeah, that's pretty- Yeah, that's that's an insane. That yeah, he's he's insane. Nine. <laughs> Nine. nine. Nine is fair. Nine is Whatever fair. Whatever Miller is going to do, and then I'll I'll do like a 10th <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm going to... I mean, what is... Wait, what is... The, oh, is Ben playing too? Nope. I, I, I haven't... I was going okay. to move is, on. Please continue. Well, no, I just want to say that 50-50 has not only never been done, but it really hasn't even come close. The closest... I'm, I'm looking right now, the closest it's ever come uh, for anybody who's done 35-35, uh, the closest is 42 and 46. Um I guess you might say that closest ever is I think Eric Davis had a 37 and 50 season. Um, so maybe you could say that's the closest because at least he got to one of them. But yeah, there's a huge gap between the previous best season and the night. I mean, it'd be like Usain Bolt saying he's going to run a an 8-9. What does he actually run? Uh, like a 9-5-5, I think. Wow. I oh. knew about track times. Yeah, you really pulled that out <laughs> with celerity. <laughs> All right, next. Okay, I'm going to skip over a couple because this has taken way too long, and I apologize yeah. for coming up with such an engrossing it's topic. The, no, it's it's the end of the season. We can go long. Uh, You're too charming, Ben Lindbergh. Yes, That's the problem. that is my main failing. Um, okay, so the last one on my list here, uh, Sam wrote something, I guess, in the early morning hours of Wednesday about how terribly everyone did at predicting the A's uh, before the season and during the season. So Billy Bean was also one of those people. He said, the fact of the matter is, for us to compete, we're going to have to have a new stadium, and I don't think there was a move we could have made that would have put us in a position to compete with a club like the Angels or Texas, given what they have and where they're headed and some of those signings. Now, some might think that a good editor would have told his writer this information while he was working (laughs) on the piece. Uh, Well, yes, that would be a valid point. That's like, uh, I mean, that that he has all the incentive in the world to lie and say that he will compete. And so the fact that uh, he said that means that he really was probably uh, 10 or 12 degrees uh, more pessimistic than he indicated with that quote. I'm going to call that a easy 10. 
Well, he did well, have some I think that he's, incentives. He's switched. I think he switched tact. Yeah, he he has been. He there have certainly been cases where he's made. I mean, even in Moneyball, it's covered that he makes the case to Major League Baseball that they can't compete. Uh, he stated that before. So, oh, so, so you think that he was actually that he had uh, his incentive was to actually exaggerate the other way. Yeah, I think he's posturing for the new stadium, like you say. I, you see the Rays yeah. do sometimes, uh, saying that they can't compete yeah. even when they win. They can't draw anyone there. They need a new stadium. Right. I give it a one. <laughs> <laughs> I think a team like the Angels, or no, like the A's, is always one that's, uh, I mean, uh, if you're talking in averages, they're like their best hope, right, is to have like sort of peak seasons, right? So they go in with like four or five-year cycles. Where they kind of develop a team, hope to acquire a couple of free agents, have one or two great years, and then it's dis- it's dismantled, and th- that's sort of the best case scenario. I think probably what the Rays done is on one extreme of that, and you know like what the oh, I don't know the Royals have done is on the other, something like that. But um, yeah, it uh, there's no reason to think, I guess with the exception of the suspended signing, that what has happened was going to happen. I would like to. Um... If I could, I, I would like to actually add one. Sure. Um, uh, the Angels, uh, before the season, uh, had Mark Trumbo as their third baseman, and uh, I believe, if I'm reading this correctly, um, they set a floor for him at 40 games at third base and gradually moved the ceiling upward. And so uh, there was uh, every indication that they thought that Mark Trumbo could be um, at least maybe like a halftime player at third base. And in fact, Mark Trumbo, who I um, don't want to pick on, he had a fine year and he did his very best at a position that almost nobody thought that he was physically capable of, of playing just by, by genetics. Um, but his, um, his UZR uh, per 150 at third base uh, was negative, uh, negative 100.6. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the, the, there are of course um, there are of course problems with uh, defensive metrics and small samples. I don't think there is a problem with this one. He literally made he literally made half of the plays uh, <laughs> that came to him, um, and he ended up playing um, 63 innings there. I think that's uh, like eight or nine games uh, if you include the times he was pulled for defensive replacements. So that did not turn out to be. Uh, a realistic projection for him at third base. Does anybody want to put a number on it? Mm. Yeah, that's a 10. That's a 10. Yes, that could be. That's a bad. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he made, how many errors did he make? Do you have the numbers uh, right there? Uh, oh, let me check. I, 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 is, uh, yeah, yeah. He, um, his standard fielding, uh, chances 14, putouts 5, assists 5, errors 4. Oh, my. Uh, so, so oh, that's seven, not good. And and uh, I actually I I'm, I watched those games and there was uh, there was a um, there were there were actually at least two balls that he charged on that were base hits that would have probably been converted by a competent um, third baseman and I believe I believe oh there was also a throw to him that he just dropped and so was not able to make the tag so there were other plays he didn't make um, but uh, he turned it around really a, a example of a successful human being. So he's kind yeah. of the opposite of Miguel Cabrera, who few Sabre types thought would be able to stick at third, but has somehow played uh, 160 games this year, or will have played 161, uh, almost all of them at third, um, which is not something most people expected. I read today in a, a Bob Nightingale column at USA Today that uh, Cabrera has startled scouts with his adequacy. I saw that too. I don't know that that's. I don't know that that's an accurate thing. I, uh, I, Ben, I, it's one thing to point out a man's hundred negative hundred point six UZR, <laughs> but it's another to call him the opposite of Miguel Cabrera. That is just too far. Well, I apologize. I think um, that's actually that's some of the, maybe the best writing I've ever encountered. Uh, it's certainly <laughs> something I'll. I'll file away to describe someone as startling someone with your adequacy. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, that would be a great headstone. He startled everyone with his adequacy. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's do uh, Sam's topic so that I can come up with an answer for Carson's. All right, so mine is mine is actually fairly quick. We'll just go around the horn. But um, Dave Cameron, um, Carson, um, yeah. do you, you, you know him? <laughs> 
I've heard of him. So he mentioned today that um, that Bryce Harper has now officially passed Melot for the greatest season by a 19-year-old in history, uh, by your model for uh, WAR. Similarly, uh, he has uh, similar numbers by Baseball References model for WAR and by Baseball Prospectus uh, model for WARP. Um, and much has obviously been made of of Mike Trout having the greatest season ever for a 20-year-old. Um, and I just want to know if we're sleeping on Bryce Harper, if the if his season as a 19 year old is is actually every bit as impressive as Trout's. Um, and I say that because uh, age is, is such a, a massive uh, signifier for baseball players. And um, I wonder whether we're not translating enough uh, the difficulty of succeeding in the majors at age 19. Um, obviously, it's difficult to do it at 20. Almost nobody does. Uh, but to find 19-year-olds who are passable is uh, is almost impossible. And I know when Trout came up last year, I looked at the 19-year-olds that have played um, in the majors since um, since Griffey. And basically, I think uh, you could maybe argue that two of them, Edgar Enteria and, and Andrew Jones, were, were even passable. Uh, and pretty much all the rest were, were fairly poor. 20-year-olds, of course, have a huge disadvantage, but there are more successful 20-year-olds in baseball's history. So... Uh, can you make the case? Would you make the case? Should anybody make the case that Bryce Harper has actually had the more impressive season? Well, do you mind if I do you mind if I go, Ben? No, please. Oh, uh, I was actually talking with Mike Newman, who uh, originally of Scouting the Sally does a lot of prospect stuff for Fangraphs now, and we were talking about uh, Wilmer Flores's season this year in the minor leagues, and uh, Wilmer Flores, of course, at one point. Was a sort of was considered a top prospect in the Mets system, and then because he played, you know, like he didn't wow everyone as a 19-year-old at A-ball, uh, he sort of fell out of favor as a prospect. Um, has played his way back into prospect status by playing well even at the Double A level this year, I believe it was. And he said, well, he said this is a. There's a lot to be said here for how we assess players relative, you know, especially in terms of age relative to level. And I think there's still a lot of uh, sort of frontier um, to, to be uh, to this conversation, especially when we talk about prospect age players, um, which I think is like, if nothing else, I think that what you're what you're suggesting, Sam, uh, I, I actually applaud you just for raising the question is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to celebrate you um, to say, like, exactly what does uh, like season X as a 19 year old? What does that equal for a 20 year old? And what can we expect from that? I don't know. How, I don't know necessarily how to adjust it, and I, I certainly don't know um, what answer to give you. But I do know that the the question is fascinating. Is that did I say enough without saying anything? Yeah. Well, let me. Um, maybe I can give you a little bit even more context for what the difference is between nineteen. I, first off, I I uh, made a mistake. It was uh, basically Renteria and Griffey uh, were adequate, and almost every other one was was bad. Um, but over the course of history, um, there have been fifteen seasons according to baseball reference of one war or greater at age 19 there have been uh, none greater than four and as an example mickey mantle was worth 1.3 war as a 19 year old now if you go to 20 uh, it's like you're in a whole different universe um, there are uh, 11 seasons over five there are uh, there are actually um, 19 seasons better than the previous greatest 19-year-old season, and Mickey Mantle went from 1.3 to 6.3. Um, it's uh, and there are uh, there are 64 seasons of one war or greater. So I don't know how much of that though is simply the fact that um, not every player uh, actually has an opportunity to play at 19. Um, no matter how good you are, it, it takes not just skill, but a, a particular set of circumstances to get you to the majors at 19, uh, no matter how good you are. Even, for instance, Trout um, played when he was 19, but he didn't uh, play but a few games there. And it's very uncommon for a, t a player to start uh, the season at 19 or to, to start in, uh, in April at age 19. And so it could just be simply that uh, a combination of Harper's uh, hype, Car uh, Harper's uh, early early draft, uh, having left high school a year early, and Harper's uh, team, the situation that the Nationals found themselves in, um, put him in a position where he's able to succeed uh, better than anybody ever, but on the other hand, um, is competing against a much, 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 much smaller uh, pool of players. 
So I guess relative to the best seasons ever at his age, Trout's still surpassed it by more than Harper's, I guess? Uh, I think that you would probably would have to use a multiplier effect, right? I mean, Trout did have—I think Trout outperformed A-Rod's previous record war— uh, for a 19-year-old by uh, something like one and a half, and Harper, if you're if we're just sticking with Baseball Reference, by 1.3. But uh, if you're if you're looking at percentage increase, then Harper would definitely uh, have it. There have been, uh, by the way, 199 previous 20-year-olds who have played um, in the major leagues since 1945, and there have been uh, 609 20-year-olds, so about triple. 19 and 20, 19 and 20. Okay, yeah. Wow. Well, I guess uh, it almost would have been disappointing if Harper hadn't done something historic in his first season, given the expectations and the level of mainstream awareness and the hype and all of that. Well, it would have been disappointing, but that's that's sort of the, the, the point, is 19-year-olds virtually always disappoint you because their uh, hype almost always exceeds their actual ability. And Harper is the uh, perhaps the first of our lifetime, probably, almost certainly the first of our lifetime, uh, unless you want to count Renteria, who probably none of us really remember all that well uh, at the time, uh, who um, whose performance actually at 19 was uh, was equal to his hype. Right, and it wasn't just for, like, you could imagine, and I don't know if this was the case with Renteria necessarily, but you could imagine, like, a defense-first shortstop uh, living up to it, or or even a defense-first center fielder, maybe, something like that, whose skills relied um, greatly on athleticism. The two things that I named, incidentally, of the last 22 years, a defense-first shortstop and a defense-first center fielder, Griffey and Renteria. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, you could... So you could imagine that happening, right? And then the offenses, uh, you take what you can get. Um, but I think that in terms of hitting especially, um, because you know, while uh, you find young players with great contact skills, it's hard to find players that are that age, 19 or 20, who have both the power and or uh, play discipline uh, to, to survive at the major league level, you know? Uh, especially if they're playing. I mean, although Harper, I was looking at his defensive numbers, and, and uh, we've made all the proper caveats, I think, about sample size with regard to those. But he has at least profiled as an above-average center fielder. I don't know if that's actually the case. Uh, I've seen him take a couple of strange routes, but um, but it, it, his numbers were certainly better than I anticipated. Well, it's a good point. Actually, uh, the the reason that Harper stands out over the previous 19-year-olds now that you mention it is because of his his defense. Uh, if you if you change the search to um, OPS plus and set a plate appearance minimum of 200. Um, Harper's OPS plus is now the second greatest for a 19-year-old since World War II, uh, lags far behind Tony Conigliaro, and is just um, just a, a little bit ahead of Mickey Mantle, just a little bit ahead of Cesar Cedeno, and not that far ahead of Griffey or Claudel Washington. So in fact, uh, by um, offensive measures, he is not uh, he is having an amazing season for a 19-year-old, but not quite a record-breaking one. Yeah, it's funny that, uh, I mean, obviously because his career was uh, truncated by some, um, by some, by a considerable amount, uh, Tony Candigliero is not a name that we find ourselves going to very often. But if, if one effective method is a judging a player's, you know, his true talent and his future overall talent, uh, by what he produces at um, at what age relative to what level, then it's you know it's very possible that Tony Canigliaro was one of the best baseball players ever. Well, he sta- he actually had sort of uh, leveled off before the injury. He, his 2021 and 22 seasons were were basically n- not much of an improvement, and in fact, a little bit of oh, a step I'm, back. I'm sorry, actually, my headphones don't work when jerks are talking. <laughs> so I guess this. Yeah, I didn't know we were coming here to to tear down Tony Canigliaro. Yeah, why are you doing that? <laughs> Is it, is it because is it because you don't like the Red Sox? Because he's Italian? Is it because he's Italian? Uh, you, come here, you come to this podcast with an anti-Italian bias. I actually have um, I have actually gotten into the problem of the Italian scourge uh, on this podcast before, as Ben can confirm. <laughs> is that true? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, I will uh, send you a link. It was embarrassing. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Sounds terrible. It involved uh, it involved a famous baseball writer, and it was mostly accidental. Oh. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Okay. In my private, uh, my private time. 
Carson, what uh, remind us what your dumb topic was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the I league... have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> the league leaders of your heart, or the league leaders in your heart. You can choose whichever preposition you want. Do, do you want to set the model for us? Can you tell us who yours is? Uh, I would say among the league leaders. We might have heart. the same one. I, I'm uh, not. I wouldn't be shocked if we have the same one. Um, is Max Scherzer. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, the okay. reason the reason I like Max Scherzer so much, uh, first of all, um, he was the victim of uh, rather poor luck to begin the season. Um, I mean, entering the season, in any case, uh, he has two uh, different color eyes, which is strange. We can all agree on that. And he's noted and famous for pitching two pitch effects, by which I mean at certain points in his career, especially when pitch effects was uh, first becoming sort of getting notoriety, uh, he would pitch differently game to game to see what it looked like on the pitch FX readouts, which I consider You're kidding a, me. An this active, is a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would pitch um, a little bit differently game to game to see how pitch FX picked it up, which to me is who, is it an active unparalleled nerddom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who was it? Who was it? Who uh, who discovered this? I think it was a Detroit writer who talked about it. I think if you Google if you Google Scherzer and pitch FX, you'll find stuff on him. I, that might be apocryphal the story I'm telling, but guess what? I believe it, so I don't care. You'd think he could have arranged some sort of exhibition or test if he had wanted to, so as not yeah. to experiment in, in, in a game situation. But it, it's a much better story this way. Yeah, it's a much better story, and I'm telling it like that. Uh, and then Max Scherzer um, was very much a victim of batted ball luck, et cetera, uh, over the first half of the season, and then proceeded to be uh, more or less the best pitcher over the second half. Um, so uh, for those basic reasons, Max Scherzer probably leads the league in my heart, uh, I would say. Also, his, okay. pitching, his pitches are great. I mean, he's got like a 93 to 98-mile-per-hour fastball, uh, great slider, and a change that, uh, well, varying degrees. We talked, about, we talked about Max Scherzer on this podcast. I think Ben and I are both fans of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and Ben actually wrote an early piece about him this year predicting great things. Yes. And then it took um, about one month of Max Scherzer being absolutely terrible before that came true. So I don't yeah. know that ben, ben gets credit. One of my yeah. few successes. This Very prescient, Ben. Thank Very you. prescient. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, ben? Okay. Well, I guess uh, for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me even, Brian Bruni has been leading uh, the league in my heart for several seasons now. Uh, and Brian Bruni pitched one perfect inning this season. Uh, and it was the most Brian Bruni inning possible. He struck out two batters and he walked two batters. And that Did he was also, the end. He, pitched, he pitched imperfect innings among them or nope, that was the that only was inning it. he pitched? That was one inning and then he was done. Uh, so that was possibly my favorite individual season of 2012. Uh, but to go with the more conventional choice, uh, I guess I couldn't really do better than the combination, if you'll allow me to pick two, of R.A. Dickey and Fernando Rodney. Uh, who have certainly had two of the most improbable pitching seasons, and there is nothing that makes me like a player more than doing something improbable. Uh, So the combination of the hard knuckleball that no one has really ever thrown before and the control that he has with it uh, and the recent revelation that he's been pitching with a torn muscle for most of the season... Uh, and the way that he holds runners on, which there was an article at BP about earlier this week, uh, all contribute to my affection for R.A. Dickey's season. And, of course, Fernando Rodney's uh, turnaround has been well-documented, but uh, his transition or his uh, reinvention as a control pitcher who does not allow any runs is something that has been a constant source of enjoyment throughout this season. The thing I like about Rodney is that it raises the question of whether this was actually um, uh, validation of, of Tony Regans for signing him to such a ridiculous contract, whether in fact Tony Regans was right all along and that it was just uh, stupid Mike Butcher or somebody who was keeping Rodney from succeeding um, because maybe um, maybe Regan saw the same thing that the Rays did and it was simply that the um, Angels weren't able to uh, to mine that something. Yes, although I guess if they weren't able to mine that something, then that speaks to their decision to sign him, possibly. Well, uh, maybe, but I mean, you know, Regan's can only do so much. 
He's uh, he's a he's a genius, but he's a solitary genius. He's, well, you have uh, to he's account only, for, only one you man. You have to account for your, your coaching staff, though, too. I mean, wouldn't that be something you take into account? Uh, it would, but what are you going to do? Not sign great players? Not sign the best pitcher in the major <laughs> leagues? Really, are you going to turn down the best pitcher in the major leagues just because you uh, you can't trust your manager and pitching coach with them? Mm-hmm. At no. a certain point, you just have to you have to trust the guys in your organization. Nobody likes a, a boss that tries to do everything. You want Regans to go down there and fix Rodney? <laughs> He'll do it. He'll do it <laughs> if he has to. <laughs> I oh, also can I, wait. Can I follow up on on Bruni? Yes, please. Uh, because I'm curious, a couple things. Uh, Limber, did you see that inning live? Uh, I did. Yes, uh, it was the only inning of baseball <laughs> yes, he watched. I, all I am not a, a watcher of baseball or a great watcher of baseball, uh, especially for someone who writes about it. But I was informed that Bruni had been called up, and so I was prepared. Uh, he had pitched in AAA extremely well for the second straight season. Uh, and so I was forewarned that there could be a Brian Bruni appearance in the offing. And it, it, is he uh, what team again? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is an insult. Uh, he was with the White Sox for his one inning. Okay, yeah, I would have guessed uh, Yankees. I would have guessed Orioles at this point. <laughs> yes, that is usually <laughs> the safest bet. Uh, I like uh, I like that Ben attempted to give a conventional answer to the question who is the major league leader in your heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean if you're gonna hold me to it, you know, uh, let me get serious for a second. Oh. Uh, and my uh, my turn, my pick uh, is Sean Doolittle. Uh, I think that the the thing that I love most um, about baseball is when a um, and in fact, I think Ben and I have talked about how any any unusual thing you introduce to the sport is welcome to us. That we will we will cheer anything uh, up to and including a pit uh, in the field. Um, and the reason is that I think that by adding these strange variables, you end up uh, learning about the sport in ways that um, at this point in uh, in in the academy, it is hard to continue learning. And um, so Sean Doolittle taught us, I think, a lot about baseball because Sean Doolittle, as everybody is aware, probably was uh, not a pitcher as of 14 months ago, had never pitched in a professional game, had never stood on the mound in a professional game. And because of an, uh, lingering injuries to his first baseman's body, they started having him throw long toss. They liked his arm. They moved him to the mound. He threw his first inning in the last game of, I believe, the Instructional League last year, which means we have not yet reached the one-year anniversary of his debut on the mound. He pitched 26 or 27 batters, I think. I think 26 or 27 batters in the minors, and then they called him up, and he has been a dominant major league reliever. He has the 10th best strikeout-to-walk ratio among all major league pitchers this year uh, with a minimum of 40 innings. He um, has struck out 58 batters in 43 games. He has a sterling record in ERA and whip and all those things. And uh, I think what it taught us is that um, Major League Baseball, which for years we've been told pitching is complicated and uh, mentally challenging and and that it takes years to learn how to do it um, and that it is an academic pursuit as much as it is a physical one, that is probably true for starters. But for for one-third of the game, for one-third of the pitchers, for one-third of the innings that are thrown. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is simply throwing fastballs, and um, that's what relievers are these days. That's what the major league bullpen is now, and it's a wonderful thing to realize just how simple it is, and I I hope that there are uh, many Sean Doolittles to come. He is also a very nice person who... um, I, I say that because he one time talked to me. Uh, that's the, <laughs> the only thing that I require. Um, of anyone, actually. Uh, Sam Miller will call, will refer to you as nicest guy in the world. Uh, uh, or, or, or lady. All you have to do is talk to him. Once. Uh, so Sean Doolittle leads the league in my heart. Yeah. So what you're saying is anyone can be a reliever. You or I. We could just go out there and pump fastballs. That's what, what I'm taking year? from this. Yeah. Second. Now, is it, uh, I don't, oh, actually, I do uh, have Sean Doolittle's um, pitch mix before me. And um, to your point, and it, it does appear as though he's been throwing 85% or more uh, fastballs. 
Yes, um, and in fact, if, if you uh, this might be a fun project for you, Carson. If you go back and watch his breaking ball over the course of the year, you will see a delightful inconsistency to it as it goes from <laughs> curve, curveball to slider and back again. Uh, it really is a pitch that he is learning on the fly, and he uses it, and I've seen him strike batters out, and it is sometimes a very attractive pitch, um, but it's, uh, it's fascinating how uh, un- unrefined it is, and, and to see a pitcher learn at this level is um, something that you don't expect. I guess at that point, if he's throwing, because he's throwing, what, 90, 94? He averages 94, he hits 97. And when he was in college, he hit, uh, he, he basically sat 87 and reached 90. So uh, he, he was a reliever in college as well. And not, not considered a very good prospect, but probably draftable. Hmm. One wonders why he was playing first base. Uh, he if was he has much, such well, because he was, arm, because uh, well, Carson, what I just said, he was he was throwing eighty seven in college and topping out at ninety. And yeah, right. But I mean, relative to say right field, for example. I mean, maybe it has to do with his mobility, I, I guess. But he was um, considered a he was considered a, a, a maybe a JT Snow type as a first baseman. They saw more value there than they ever did as a pitcher. It was really once they started working on his mechanics that he added the velocity. Okay. And, and once he spoke to Sam Miller, really well, was when things well. turned around for him uh it should be noted his numbers in the minors as a uh as a hitter uh, i'm gonna guess that some of this is a combination of california league and um and uh pcl um but uh, he did have some good numbers he did he uh, was he would have been a guy who would have been probably on um on like a, a, a team top 10 list but not a uh, certainly not a prospect 100 list so sure you know, that kind of guy. I'd like to car- compliment Carson on his ability to soundlessly browse the internet while we record. His keyboard, his keyboard is, silent, is very loud, silent, though. Really? I, I think a quiet, quiet click, but a very loud keyboard. Uh-huh. Oh, for me, you can hear it? I can't hear a thing. You couldn't? No. But you could, Miller? You're sure that's not... Uh, that was probably me. You sure it's not uh, Lindbergh? It could have been Ben. It was uh, at, at parts of the show that I would have expected you to be distracted rather than Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've, I've tried to be pretty quiet. I also have a microphone that uh, is uh, unidirectional, and so it helps to prevent sound, other sounds from um, entering into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought this was fun. Should we do this again sometime? I think we should. Yeah, sometime. Yeah. Okay. Is this how it ends? Well, usually what I say is, uh, this has been excellent. Um, stick around for some adult conversation. I usually invite the guests for adult <laughs> conversation afterwards. Okay, well, why don't you why don't you do that and then play us out? Oh, yeah, I'll play us out. Um, that reminds me that, uh, have you ever seen that Bill O'Reilly? Uh, there's a Bill O'Reilly YouTube video. and He's like on Nightline as a younger man. And he's like, what What does this mean? What does play us out mean? He's yeah. yes. absolutely well, well, berating his producer. <laughs> okay, well, Carson, we'll do it live. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will do a lot. Hey, listen, though, guys, I, I, yeah, I would like to thank you for participating in this experiment. Thank you okay. for proposing it. Yeah, that's Sam Miller. That's Ben Lindbergh. I'm Carson Sestouli. Do you guys agree to that? <laughs> yes, I will go that this far. Been, this has been simultaneously Fangraphs Audio and Effectively Wild.